It's time to talk UK sports with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is the Leach Report Radio Network. Join in the discussion by tweeting your questions to at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call 877-904-1080. Now, along with an outstanding lineup of guests and broadcast to the most passionate fan base in America, the Big Blue Nation, here's the voice of the Wildcats. Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. It's a Friday edition of our show. I'm going to get out and play a little golf today with some friends. Uh, one to a cart and um, play out at the uh, Griffin Gate course here in Lexington. So going to keep the fingers crossed that uh, we get through the round without rain. Looking forward to uh, that. First time to get out and actually play this year. So hopefully you're going to get to do something fun this Memorial Day weekend within the parameters that we live in right now. Coming up on the show today, Chris Lowe, college football writer for ESPN, uh, will join us. Jeff Pecoro, my broadcast partner on the U.K. football games, and he also does pre- and post-game coverage for the Reds. So we'll talk a little bit about uh, what's happening with baseball. And Travis Stone, the track announcer at Churchill Downs. And uh, we'll see what it's like to call races without people in the stands and talk a little bit about a great card for tomorrow over at Churchill. That's our guest lineup right to the Wildcat News of the Day. A service of Cardinal Point Financial Group. That's Private Wealth Advisory Practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. When we're in the studio, we're in these um, uh, studio home studios now and um uh, one of these days, I've got to get a video cranked up to let you guys see the setup here. Anyway, uh, the one thing we don't have that we have in the studio is the cough button. So I had to cough. But you have to turn the mic down to keep you guys from hearing Matt and being annoyed by it. So uh, at some point, hopefully before too too much longer, we'll be back in the studio. Let's get to the news. Vote today by the SEC presidents is coming. They've got to decide whether they want to allow schools to open for uh, to open their facilities for uh, voluntary workouts for student-athletes on June 1st or maybe a little later. Um, Still two months away, really, uh, from, I think, any full practices uh, that uh, would take place. So that's the thing about it is things start to happen. You move in a direction, but I think you're seeing this in some of the comments from uh, even professional leagues, uh, they're making decisions and plans, but they know that it could all change. So hopefully we continue to trend in a uh, positive direction. Pro Football Focus out with their way too early top 25, and they have Kentucky at number 20. Finally, a little respect for Mark Stoops' club. Uh, The folks at Pro Football Focus say, quote, the Wildcats return a decent amount of talent in 2020 and should be competitive again in the SEC. They have Georgia at 5, Florida 6, Auburn 10, Tennessee 19, and Mississippi State 25. And, of course, all five of those teams are on Kentucky's schedule. Uh, Lynn Bowden did an interview with an ESPN writer, and he is quite confident in his abilities, but that's the norm for Lynn. He said, quote, I feel like I'm going to wake the world up. It's only a matter of time. going to be exciting to see what the Raiders are actually going to uh, to do with him, starting him out at running back, but talking about using him in just in a variety of ways. And I think his skill set is a, is a great match with the current times for the NFL because people are thinking creatively uh, with the players more than they probably ever have in the NFL. 
Uh, an owner for the or the owner for the Milwaukee Bucks tells CNBC that the NBA should be playing in six to eight weeks. They're talking about using Walt Disney World in Florida, but uh, there was a Sports Illustrated report that they're also reserving some facilities in Vegas, so maybe they'll use both cities. Uh, the plan reportedly is a 70-game regular season instead of the 82, and that's the 70s, the minimum they need to get paid from the regional sports networks around the country. So it would be a, a short run uh, down the stretch to the playoffs, and then they would get the playoffs going. A release from uh, UK shows that uh, Kentucky was ranked number one by all of the major recruiting ranking services. And that's only happened four times in John Calipari's tenure. 2010, which led into the 2011 season, 2011, 2013, and now the 2020 class. And the previous three all made it to the Final Four. Just saying. Kentucky softball's Bailey Vick named SEC Scholar Athlete of the Year. Congrats to her. And over 500 alums of UK cheerleading issued a statement in support of the fired coaches and a uh, former advisor. Links to the stories that we talk about each day can be found on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. Our show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington, located in Hamburg and in Palomar here in Lexington. We're going to head to a break and back with Chris Lowe from ESPN. Find out more about the Voice of the Cats and get great coverage of the Big Blue at TomLeachKY.com. Welcome back into our show for Friday. Joining us on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline is Chris Lowe, college football writer for ESPN. And there's uh, plenty to keep you busy these days, right, Chris? Uh, there is. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of questions. A lot of questions without answers at this point, Tom. But uh, still, would like to have a, as we all would, all we sports junkies would like to have a few games, a, little, a few more live games right now. Yes, uh, looks like the NBA may be somewhere in uh, in July. We had thought baseball maybe by around the first of July, but haven't heard much there in a while. Uh, college football, it's uh, you know we're looking at, at Labor Day weekend. I think there was a, a time when things started to shut down that. Uh, People were talking about a college football season starting in 2021 and uh, maybe in October and November. And instead now it certainly feels like we're we're moving toward an, an on-time start. Would you agree? I think we are. We, I, don't think we, I don't think any of us know what it's going to look like, You know how many fans will be in the stands, what measures will be taken, what restrictions will be taken for that to happen. And I think it's probably time to look a little bit different, different parts of the country. Um, you know, we're going to probably see some tweaks of the schedule. I think that's inevitable. Uh, but I do think we're probably going to, I'd be very surprised. And the people I talk with, administrators, coaches, ADs, the most surprising scenario based on all my conversations would be if there's just no football at all this fall. So I do think we're going to have football and I think we'll see it in September. There's a, a vote coming today from everything I read among SEC presidents and chancellors about whether or not to allow schools to open their facilities back up. Um, what are you uh, hearing or, or guessing will come out of that meeting? Well, you know, the, the NCAA Division One Council has already voted that schools can, athletes can start, women's and men's basketball players and football players can start coming back on campus June 1st. 
Now it's going to be up to individual conferences and schools. For instance, in the ACC, they're sort of leaving it up to the schools. And we've seen some schools say they're coming back in first, some mid-June, some later. And the SEC wants to do it uniform, have some uniformity. So the presidents are going to vote today on whether to bring them back on June 1st, maybe push it back a few weeks, the middle of June, or even go to July 1st. I think the last time they all met, talked about it, it was a mixed bag. You had some who won June 1st, some later in the month, some July 1st. Uh, there's all sorts of opinions on what's best. Most of the people I talk to feel like that no matter when you get them back, I think this is the thing we all need to consider, keep in mind. Just because they come back on, let's say, June the 5th, you don't really get them back on June 5th because you're going to have to test, you're going to have to quarantine, you're going to have to assess where everybody is. You don't just jump right back into a new year voluntary workout, by the way. Uh, I talked to a couple of coaches yesterday that said, you know, as long as we get them back at some point in June, preferably early, because they feel like they can better take care of them, you know, in a controlled environment on campus, you know, test them and see who they are, um, and get them on the field sometime in July doing some football team work together, that you can have them ready to go starting training or preseason camp in August and have ready to go play in September. Nobody, you know, the question, Tom, nobody can answer right now is if you have an outbreak, you know, if you have three or four or five kids that catch the virus, what do you do? Do you just quarantine those? Do you do the entire team? Um, you know, there's no blueprint for this. As one, as one head physician told me yesterday, he says, you know, if a kid tells his ACL, well, you know, we sort of know how to handle that, how to manage it, what to do. We've not gone down this road before, so there's going to be a lot of real-time decisions made. Yeah, you've uh, there's a story up at uh, ESPN.com right now about uh, kind of what it looks like a hundred days out, and um, one of the the stories uh, your name is on. There's a uh, quote in there um, from uh, a head team physician at a Power Five program that would prefer to move more cautiously, right? Right, and not so much bring back a hundred kids at once because. His argument is, you know, with the virus, everything we're being told and everything in the medical profession is not to gather in big groups. If you bring back 100 kids or 80, whatever, 85 kids at one time, um, then the chances are getting that many people together at once. You don't know where they've been, who they've been around. Uh, but, but bring them back in phases and do the, the contact tracing part of, of assessing where they are with the virus and then test them all and then sort of see where they are, and then and, and it sort of phase in to bringing back everybody all together at once. That, that was his argument, and I think a lot of people agree with that. Now, you know, it's the reality is if you're in Louisville, Kentucky, or Atlanta, Georgia, or Baltimore, Maryland right now, and Gold's gyms are open, and your high, your high school gyms are open, those kids are probably going to those gyms right now working out. So who are they around? You know, what are the, what are the conditions at those places? And I think most a lot of the coaches say, well, if that's going to be the case, let's bring them back here on our campus and in our weight room where we're taking the proper precautions and maybe we can better control that, that environment. I read something from, um, I think it was Peter King a few weeks ago with respect to the NFL, but it uh, could apply certainly. Uh, I think Tom Hart tweeted this out that it would uh, you could just substitute college football for NFL in here in terms of, you know, it's going to be, uh, uh, people need to be, uh, make peace with the fact that it'll be a season of some inequity equity and uh, adjusting on the fly. I forget the exact quote, but um, that seems 
to to be a, a good mindset for everyone to go into this with because you know let's say you know you you get into a season you're playing a season and then there is a little mini outbreak somewhere well you know a, a team might have to I guess conceivably could have to you know take a week off or something or, or let's say as I talked to one person in the medical field tied to college football one of the scenarios he threw out there is maybe you test these guys on Thursday before you get on the plane to go play on Friday. Let's say four or five of your best players test positive. Well, they don't play that week. And clearly that's going to hurt that team that's getting ready to go play. But that's just you – know, this is going to be a season unlike any we've ever seen. And, you know, but we're, we're undergoing a global pandemic. And I think you're right. You're 100% right. We just all need to be braced for that and understand that it's not going to be the same or, or, or we're not going to have, I think, Bob Bowlesby, the Big 12 commissioner, said that. And everybody's looking for that even playing field in sports. Well, I don't know that it will be this year uh, across the country, from conference to conference, or even within conference, depending on what happens with the virus, what teams, what parts of the country are hit harder, impacted more severely, uh, how prepared everybody is to handle it when the kids come back. You know, there's, there's going to be a lot of things that come up that nobody can really be prepared for. But I, I can tell you this, everybody I talk to, they're trying their best to, to prepare for any and everything as, as we get ready for the kids to come back to campus. You were, I think, part of a, a story that came out at ESPN yesterday about the economic impact if there was not college football um, on the, uh, collectively. I think $4 billion was the number. Um you know, as somebody who's covered this for a long time, do you think we see some change coming out of this in with respect to contracts? And I'm I wonder about uh, with um, I was reading something yesterday about uh, Vandy and, and Derek Mason. It was a story talking about you know the buyout and you know he couldn't imagine that the school would pay off. I think it was seven million dollars. You know, if the season didn't go well or something. Um, that you know it was easy to kind of maybe or to to certainly put those kinds of deals together when people keep dr- dumping wheelbarrows full of money in your driveway every year. And now they've, they're living through something where, um, you know, it, it, it's a drastic change of, of thinking and some, do you think that changes the way some contracts are structured, coaches, networks, etc.? Well, I think, yeah, I think coach, uh, schools are going to be much more, much more hesitant to give these, you know, astronomical buyouts to coaches, whether they're just strapped and having to pay guys, you know, six, ten, fifteen, twenty million dollars to go away and not to coach. I think that will be one part of it. There'll be a lot of parts, a lot of ramifications, and a lot of it's going to depend on the schools and, and what kind of reserves they have built up. I mean, you know, the the heartbreaking thing to me about all this, or one of the heartbreaking things from a just a sports perspective. Time as you see the the mid major schools, the group of five schools, oh. even some of the lower level power five schools are, are, are having to cut sports, tennis and golf and swimming. You saw East Carolina cut a bunch of them yesterday. Well, there's more of that coming. It's there's more, and I, I talked to the East Carolina AD yesterday. Somebody I've known for a long time. He said it's one of the worst days you can ever remember. I have to tell those kids that that you know it's you guys are awesome. You're exemplary examples. Uh, for this university, but it's just where we are. We cannot sustain this model with some of our revenue losses. And it's a, it's a reminder that football is absolutely 
the engine that drives the train for the entire athletic department. And in a lot of cases, a big part of that university. And if football is not thriving, and if there is no football, then it's the, the, the impact is far reaching. You know, not only for the, you know, the football program, but the entire athletic department, entire communities. I mean, you look at Lexington, Kentucky. If there's, you know, let's say there's no football slash no basketball for a year. What happens to that community? Yeah. Hotels and restaurants. And it's, um, it's a sobering thought. And I think that's why, you know, when you sort of look down and you step back a thousand feet away, I think there are going to be changes going forward in a lot of different areas. Chris, I appreciate uh, the time. Uh, have a uh, nice holiday weekend. Stay safe. Thank you, Tom. It's always good to catch up, man. That's Chris Lowe, ESPN.com, a uh, longtime uh, writer covering the Southeastern Conference. We're heading to a break. Uh, Jeff Pecoro and Travis Stone still to come on this Friday edition of the Leach Report. Can't get to a radio? You can listen to us live on the web at talkradio1080.com. Now, back to the show. It's the Leach Report for a Friday. A short segment here, so we will uh, catch Jeff Pecoro uh, coming out of the bottom of the hour break. We'll work in our Keeneland Select Race of the Week, and it comes from Churchill Downs. The uh, race that we did for the Keeneland Select video was the Grade 3 Matt Wynn Stakes, and I took Maxfield. He's going to be the huge favorite in there. Um, just couldn't find anybody else that I... Uh, liked enough to try to beat Maxfield with. So uh, look for some value underneath and try to uh, juice up the exacta or a try perhaps because Maxfield will be a uh, pretty short-priced favorite, I would think. Now, I think there is a chance to get uh, a nice payoff in the preceding race, the blame stakes. Uh, Mr. Money, who was so impressive on Derby Day last year, and I think it was the Pat Day mile, he comes back at a mile here. He's three for four at Churchill, five to one on the morning line, coming off a subpar effort, but that was his first start after a, a pretty good layoff. So if you forgive that effort and think that uh, he's in a good spot here, you might get uh, somewhere close to that five to one. Probably not, but maybe 7-2, to two, something like that. It's going to be a nice payoff on Mr. Money, our Keeneland Select race of the week. And if you play through Keeneland Select, uh, you are your wagers are helping fund uh, something they're doing right now, Nourish the Backstretch, which is helping uh, feed the backstretch workers out at the track. So uh, one way that uh, they give back to the industry through the Keeneland Select platform. We are halfway home on the Leach Report. Jeff Pecoro, we come right back. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Second half of our Friday show. Back to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline to bring on Jeff Pocoro. How are you handling the uh, lockdown phase of your life? Well, actually, Tom, I'm down in Florida. Ah. You know, my brother Mark is the vet down here at uh, Tampa Bay Downs and and stuff. So we've been going to the track in the mornings with him. They're racing this afternoon. So it's been fun. Me and my son are down here. Just, uh, you know, the beaches are open. The restaurants are open. So it's, you know, it's different everywhere you go. So we decided, yeah. Hey, there's oceans, there's horse racing. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. I saw a picture, some social media platform of you and some friends doing a little socially distanced golfing. <laughs> yeah. Solomon Wilcox, uh, 
uh, you know, is a really good friend of mine, and uh, yeah, George Fogel's a sportscaster in Cincinnati, and yeah, you know, uh, you gotta you gotta get out and do something. You can't just sit at home. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually playing golf today, so looking forward to getting 18 in. Uh, let's start with uh, a little baseball. What are you hearing about uh, the prospect of baseball coming back? Well, you know, it's interesting, Tom. You you talk to some people, and they say. Uh, that they're, they're pretty positive that baseball is going to be played. Then you talk to some others, and that's not the case. Uh, you know, there are teams that are going to lose a lot of money. Baseball's going to lose over a billion dollars if they play or not. And I think there are some of the smaller uh, owners that are in, in the smaller cities that may not even want to play because of the losses. And then there are some of the bigger cities who have the bigger television contracts who – I think one to play. So it's a very interesting dichotomy. But I think the owners knew in the back of their minds the players would not accept the the split of revenues, the revenue sharing. They they don't want that because they feel that that's the cap. And they've already just a, a little over a month ago signed a new contract where they were going to get prorated salaries anyway. So I don't think the players are going to budge on that. And if the ownership does not come off this fifty fifty split. And there's not going to be any baseball this year. Yeah, it seems like baseball more than any other uh, sport is. It, it is a uh, a bit. There's a obviously business to all of this, but it's uh, businesses. Uh, the you know the money split, all of these things, the things you're talking about are uh, are driving uh, the bus, as opposed to say the NBA, where they seem to you know be on the same page and they're more into working out the logistics. No, I think you're exactly. Right. Let me give you one real quick scenario. There, the Yankees, the Dodgers. Uh, the Angels, uh, I think the Rangers, they have over a $2 billion contract with their television partner, okay? So every year, it's a 10-year, $2 billion contract. That means that the the Los Angeles Angels get $200 million a year before the first ticket is sold, okay? Fox Sports Ohio, which is, the, you know, which is now Sinclair, pays the Reds about $45 million a year. So before the first ticket sold, they've already got... $155 million more in their coffers than the Reds do. So you, you got to look at it that way, too. There's no revenue share in baseball like there is in football and basketball and, and hockey. So, you know, the rich get richer in baseball, that's for sure. And uh, the uh, the Reds, unfortunately, were, were poised to maybe have one of their better years oh. in a while. Oh, I think it, it was going to be huge. The problem for the Reds, if they don't play this year, they are going to count this as a year for the players. So those guys who are in those last years or on their walk years in their contract, they get to walk. So Trevor Bauer, you know, he's going to be able to go. Uh, you know, there are several players that they have signed that may not be Reds if they don't play this year next season. So they're going to sign up, pay him all this money, and never see him in the Reds uniform. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. That's the thing. Um. Is that if you heard any timeline as far as like what the what the point would be where they just scrap the season? I have not. I do know today is today Friday. I don't even know what day. It is Friday. Friday. <laughs> today they were supposed to have something in front of the players' union. You know, we've talked about this timeline of getting in by mid June, having two or three weeks of spring training, and starting July Fourth weekend. But the players have not had anything, a formal proposal in front of them. Today was supposed to be the day the owners were going to give that formal proposal to the players' union. So-
So they they say they have to play at least to 75 to 80 games to make it a real season. The players are pushing for close to 100 games. They've already said they'll play doubleheaders and things like that. So it's going to be very interesting because now time is you know of the essence. It has to be in the next couple of weeks when they sign this deal and get it going because if you wait till mid or the end of June, then you're going to have to take at least three three weeks of spring training. Now you look at the end of July. Remember, football's starting in September. Uh, you know, the NFL camps, they're going to open. They're going to play. So, you know, baseball's up against it. And as far as uh, talking football, it feels like uh, we're trending toward a college football season that will start uh, on time. Don't know if you and I will be in the booth at Kroger Field or not or at a studio somewhere, but uh, it does feel like we're, we're trending toward starting the season on time. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm just watching the uh, – Paul Feinbaum and, and uh, Greg Sankey are both on uh, ESPN right now and speaking. And, uh, you know, they, it looks as though they are going to open things up here in the next couple of weeks where the players are going to be able to get back on campus and, uh, and, and actually start doing some workouts and things like that. No, I, I fully expect them to have a lot more uh, coronavirus protections, I guess would be the word, or protocol uh, to make sure that everybody is – is okay, but, you know, the one thing that kind of is strange to me, Tom, is the fact that you're going to have football players on a football field playing football. They're inches apart. They're bleeding on each other. They're spitting on each other. They're touching each other every play, and yet you're not going to allow anyone in the stands. That just that doesn't make sense to me. Well, the Ohio State AD, uh, Gene Smith, uh, said this week he could see uh, 20,000 to maybe 40 uh, that they could have in the stands. I I think uh, if I had to bet, I'd say there will be some level of attendance. Um, we had a, a doctor on um, who's with a company that here in Lexington that's helping with the testing for Churchill Downs and Keeneland, and they are talking about something called uh, pool testing, which is a lot uh, more efficient and, and inexpensive way to, to test large groups when you don't think there's a, a lot of coronavirus present, which would would be the case and uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, and apparently that has shown up that concept has shown up in an ncaa uh, memo out to the schools so uh, you know there's a lot of things i'm sure that are at work that we don't know about but um, you know it's it's a season that a lot of kentucky fans are certainly excited about pro football focus they're based up in cincinnati they have kentucky number 20 in their early top 25 yeah and that's you know solomon who i played golf with works for them as well we talked about that a lot. It's, it's, a, it's a really neat company and, and the way they do things, but he was talking about how the, the whole attitude towards the University of Kentucky has changed over the last couple of years and what Mark Stoops has been able to do, uh, you know, recruiting and recruiting better players. Obviously, the players are grading out much higher. They have two of the top three tackles in all of college football play for the Cats, Kennard and Landon Young. Uh, you know, so they're, they're, they've got players and, and it's, this is good. You know, the red season and UK season, these are two that could go down in history as some of the better teams they've had if, if we can only get them out on the field. And a lot of fans see that stuff from Pro Football Focus. You know those uh, guys. It's it's all you know numbers based, so it's not a it's not a, they sure. take the subject they take the subjectivity out of it. You no, know, you're exactly right. It's not like rivals or, or any of those that they grade recruits. These are actually people that have taken hours and hours of training on how to grade films and how to grade plays and players. And there are guys who specifically do the 
offensive linemen, defensive linemen, defensive backs, quarterbacks, things like that. So it's a real, it's a true grade, and it goes beyond just you know a number. It's pretty cool the way they do it. It's way too long, but you should get Chris or Sol- Chris Collinsworth or Solomon on and talk with you when football starts to how they break down because it, it's really interesting, Tom. It's really in depth, and I, I think it's a great tool for colleges and pros to use uh, in in their recruiting and, and then what they're going to go to the next level with. And I think it's you know, it's fun for for fans, and it's again it's kind sure. of a you know, numbers based. So I think uh, you, you know we we can all debate things as sports fans, but this is something that's right. you know from coming from data. Uh, I mean, Tom, think of this: when was the last time Kentucky had of all the schools, Pac twelve, you know, the Big Twelve, Pac ten, everything, Big Ten? Kentucky has the number one and the number three tackle in all of college football. In yeah. Kennard and in Landon Young. Think about that. That's like having two Warren Bryants out there at the same time. I mean, I, that's, that's never happened before. I mean, it happens to maybe a school like Ohio State or, uh, you know, uh, Michigan or uh, Clemson, but to have two of the top three at Kentucky, that tells you something right there, man. Indeed it does. Well, good luck at the track today. Hope you find your way to the winner's <laughs> circle. <you. laughs> And uh, we'll talk. We'll, have fun. You hit we'll talk uh, again, maybe when we uh, if we get baseball rev back up. Have have a good weekend. Thanks, Tom. As Jeff Pecoro, and uh, hopefully we'll be back in our home booth on uh, Labor Day weekend for Kentucky's opener. Head to a break. Travis Stone from Churchill Downs. When we come right back on the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at Tom Leach KY. Joining us next on the KentuckyHempWorks.com online, Travis Stone, who calls the races at Churchill Downs. Uh, they resumed the spring meet yesterday, racing today, and a big stakes laden card tomorrow. Uh, Travis, let me start with what is it like, or what was it like last week, calling races? Uh, without fans in the stands. Uh, good morning. It was, um, you know, it's interesting. Not it's, there's some Thursdays and Wednesdays during the November fall meet where it gets pretty cold outside and uh, it can be pretty quiet there. Um, but there's sort of an, a different level to it in that there's more people tuning in. So sort of got to be on your toes a little bit more as a race caller just to make sure you're doing a good job for the people that are watching around the world from home. But it was definitely different, but ultimately I was happy to get back running again. Yeah, it was, and it was great racing. I mean, huge fields. I know uh, you are a horse player as well as a race caller, and it was, it's, these are some tremendous handicapping challenges right now. Oh, it's just <laughs> so many horses in every race. It's, uh, it's a big puzzle. It's, it's exhausting from a race calling perspective. By the end of the day, the brain is completely fried and, um, you know, with all these good races, it's hard to maintain a bankroll as a horse player, and you got to keep a bankroll intact for some phenomenal racing tomorrow too. But it's just been a great meet so far. How did you find your way into this career? I just grew up north of Saratoga, and my dad was a racing fan, and he would take a lot of trips down to the races during the summer. And I just fell in love with the game. I, I would couldn't wait to go to the track with him. My sister and, and some of the neighborhood friends would go to the beach for the day, and I'd be like, "Man, I'm going to go to the track with my dad." And uh, we did that, and I just started calling races for fun as a kid, and it just blossomed from there. Are you uh, optimistic that we'll have a Kentucky Derby weekend with some level of attendance? 
Yes, I am. I am. I think with each passing day, I get this general feeling, this is not from Churchill, but from society in general, that um, things are just opening back up and that a prolonged uh, lack of attendance, whether it be you know at a sporting event or even at a restaurant, is not sustainable from an economic perspective. And, and I think we're all going to find a way to make this work and balance. And so, yeah, I think there will be fans at the Derby. That's not, not an official word. I've talked to nobody about it. It's my gut feeling. And and uh, we'll have a good time regardless. And, you know, as far as what you said about society, we're trending in terms of now, this weekend, uh, people can gather in groups of 10. I think that'll probably be up at, uh, you know, 50. It, it is at 50 in other places. It'll probably be that number in Kentucky at some point in the not-too-distant future. And with all the the, the suites and the, the, peep, the boxes on the, the grandstand boxes that are partitioned off, Churchill Downs would be perfectly set up for some level of social distancing. I mean, the, the facility is built to handle 150,000 people, so there's plenty of space to, to sort of spread people out. I mean, I don't think we'll see 150,000 on the first Saturday in September. I think that's a massive long shot, so I think the space will be utilized in a smart way. And, and yeah, you're right. And plus, being warmer weather, which seems to be a positive thing, and, um, you know, there's plenty of opportunity to spread out, and, uh, you know, you don't have to necessarily bump doubles with people while enjoying your mint julep. We know now that the Belmont's going to be first, then the Derby, then the Preakness. If some horse does win all three, uh, does that horse get to be called a Triple Crown winner? Yeah, I hate to be a Debbie <laughs> Downer and just like this uh, sort of negative sound and in, in, uh, in a time that needs nothing but positivity, but uh, you can't be a Triple Crown winner if you don't win a mile and a half Belmont um, and, and, that, and in five weeks' time. So I think, I mean, yeah, technically – you know, they might be considered a triple crown winner, but in my eyes, it'll be an asterisk there. And, uh, and I get it. You know, this is just, this is just an unprecedented and weird situation. And so everybody had to adapt the best way they could. Um, and it is what it is. So we will embrace it, have fun with it. And, uh, I'm telling you what, I'm looking forward to a regular derby trail next year and <laughs> back to the normal triple crown. Amen. Uh, now that this has been thrust upon us as, as sports fans, as racing fans, um, I mean, over the years there have been debates. Wayne Lucas was one that's advocated for making changes to the Triple Crown. Others have said, if not changing distances, change the spacing between races. Could you see any tweaks coming uh, since tradition had to be broken by the pandemic? You know, for up to me, uh, it would be a resounding uh, no. Um, I, I don't think... I'd, what I don't understand about all these these arguments for changing the Triple Crown is there's one thing in horse racing that works. There's one thing in horse racing that is not broken, and that's the Triple Crown. The argument six years ago was that there hasn't been a Triple Crown winner in X number of years. Things need to change. And then, bang, American Pharaoh, and then a couple years later, boom, justified. So that argument out the window. Um, the, the, the Triple Crown has cachet in the spring. It is how people plan their sort of their winter racing schedule and how fans think about the springtime in terms of horse racing, the triple crown is not broken. And, and I, and it upsets me when people argue for change. I think there are far more things in horse racing that need to be changed before the triple crown. So I hope that even with this sort of, um, change in the schedule this year, that it's a, it's a one-off and, and we're back to the, the five week triple crown next spring. Any, uh, horses you like, especially well on that card tomorrow, especially the stakes races. You know, it's actually an interesting card because there's a lot of these horses coming off layoffs, right? And so this is mm-hmm. not their primary goal. This is just a starting point or a stepping stone. And I think 
you can typically find some pretty good value for horses that have have already made a start or two coming up against horses like Fairing was coming off a layoff or Dunbar Road is coming off a layoff. I think the Matt win with uh, an abundance of points for the Kentucky Derby is a fascinating race. There's no speed in there. There's absolutely no speed. And Paco Lopez, who's slated to ride New York traffic for Safi Joseph, is a aggressive rider. It's a pretty quick run to the first turn, and there's nobody else to go with him. Really, I mean, there's one horse that could possibly show some speed, but I don't know if they're, they're going to want to show Paco Lopez-like speed. So I think New York Traffic is going to be very dangerous. I don't think he's the best horse in the race. I think Maxfield, for Brendan Walsh, is the best horse. But he's coming off this October layoff, his first start at three. This, they're, they're not pointing to win the Matt win. Now they're thinking about Kentucky Derby in September. So this is just a stepping stone for him to get going. Whereas New York Traffic has some races under his belt this year, I thought he was, uh, I thought he was really interesting at a pretty good price. Travis, we appreciate the time. Uh, have a uh, great call uh, this weekend on all the uh, fantastic racing through Memorial Day, right? The racing on Monday. It is. This is a, a conventional five-day work week for us at the racetrack. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, thanks for your time, Travis. Have a good day. Take care. We'll see you. It's Travis Stone, track announcer at Churchill Downs. We'll wrap up this edition of the Leach Report in just a moment. Holiday weekend, and if you're not going out golfing, maybe you're going out fishing. Well, our friends at Kentucky Hemp Works have a couple of new products that are made entirely from hemp seeds that can help you catch more fish. Find out about them at KentuckyHempWorks.com. You can pick up um, through that website uh, CBD oil, their hemp root salve, hemp seed oil that you can even cook with. So uh, check it all out. They like to say they're more than just CBD. It's a family-run Kentucky Proud operation locally grown, locally processed hemp products, and you can uh, check out their YouTube channel as well. This day in uh, Wildcat history is a birthday, a happy birthday to one of Kentucky's big men of the past, Rob Locke, celebrating a birthday today. This is the 45th anniversary of the Kentucky Colonel's ABA title-clinching win in Game 5. They beat the Pacers 110-105. to Artis Gilmore had 28 points and 31 rebounds. We talked to Dan Issel about that last week and a week ago today, actually. 7.30 Eastern time tonight on the NBA Toulou, NBA the number 2 LOU, NBA Toulouse Facebook page. They're going to replay Game 5 where Kentucky clinched with a win over the Pacers at Freedom Hall. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the holiday. We'll see you live on Tuesday. Best of show on Monday. Whenever you miss a show, and be sure to follow the Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to leachreport at gmail.com. See you next